0: Welcome to Editors on Editing, the new podcast in collaboration with American Cinema Editors and Pro Video Coalition. I'm Glenn Garland, and I'm joined by Myron Kirstein. Myron has edited such inventive and joyous projects as... Crazy Rich Asians, for which he was nominated for the Eddie Award, Girls, In Good Company, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and Garden State. Now he has edited one of the most entertaining and intoxicating films of the year, In the Heights. It's so awesome to have you. I just uh, loved what you did within the Heights. I've been a big fan of your work ever since I met you years ago. I don't know if you remember. Of course. I was working on Halloween 2 and not sure what you were working on at the time. It might have been Nick and Nora's or, or something like that. It's so great to reconnect.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been a big fan of your work as well and also of these interviews. So I really appreciate you wanting to dive in a little bit.
0: Watching this movie, it must have been a huge labor of love, but also just a daunting task.
1: Well, it was a labor of love, and it was very daunting as well. Not to quote Hamilton, but this was my shot. And I really, (laughs) you know, you only get these opportunities. You may never get them. And if you get them, it might be only once in a lifetime or a career. And um, so I just knew that I had to bring everything to it. Every ounce of my being whatever skill sets I had developed over the last 20 years, I had to pour it all into this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you could see it. You could totally see it. When you mentioned Hamilton, it's funny. Cause I, I love that little callback that you guys did with the hold music. <laughs> we were watching it, my wife and I and my daughter. And suddenly we all sort of like looked at each other, like, wait, is that Hamilton?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was careless whisper for the longest time. And, uh, it always played really well in a Friends and Family screenings, but then Lin really had this philosophy that he wanted all the music to have some kind of reference to itself, whether it be songs that have been cut out of the film or just remixes of the songs that are in there. But then this was one nod to Hamilton that he wanted to play with. and if, As soon as we put it in... We knew it was going to work. I just didn't know how long it would take for people to get the joke. It's really subtle. You can miss it in a heartbeat. So.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it, it's pretty subtle because it, it ended and then we all like, looked at each other and we're like, wait a second. <laughs> 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 so how did you and John Chu end up working together? Well, I was
1: a fan of John from his Step Up movies, and Never Say Never. And long story short, I basically got wind that my buddy Brad Simpson, from 20 years ago, he was producing this movie.
0: And, and that I was said, for Crazy Rich Asians, correct?
1: Yes, And I guess I made an impression I had a Skype interview with him, and he was already in Malaysia prepping, and then next thing I knew, I was flying down to Malaysia and Singapore and working with him.
0: It seemed like there was such great chemistry between you two right from the get-go, because you watch Crazy Rich Asians, and there's just a great rapport between the director and the editor, and that you guys were really having fun thinking outside of the box and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's really the key for me. I really enjoy immensely working with him. We just have so much fun together. We're really honest with each other. It, it's a really safe room to throw out bad ideas, good ideas. I literally, I kid you not, for the end song of Crazy Rich Asians, I like threw out like "Mamma Mia," and he was, He always makes fun of me. It's just like imagine, <laughs> imagine a Mandarin version of "Mamma Mia" at the end of this film. And I, I, I I, I know. I know. But it's good to just have a safe place to try ideas. And then and at the same time, we push each other really hard to keep trying to raise the bar. And I think having somebody like John it really elevates my work. And hopefully I do the same for
0: him. That's great. When you say a safe room, it, it makes a huge difference because if you don't feel safe to be able to play, then you're not giving your best to the film. And it's so important to feel like you could say any stupid, crazy thing. And maybe it's not going to work, but maybe it's going to be genius.
1: Yeah. And I often find like, even the things that fail as ideas lead to something else that usually works. It just leads you to interesting paths to just be open to the possibilities. Mm And Anyways, I just, I love working with him so much. And of course, to then work on something like in the Heights, where there's so many ways you could skin a cat here. So to be able to play in the sandbox together, it's just great.
0: It really felt like you guys were thinking out of the box. And you could see that John has a huge respect for you too. I heard him describe you as having such humanity. And I feel like that's one of the greatest compliments you can give an editor because one of the most important parts of the editorial process is finding each character's humanity. And the fact that he described you that way, I just think is really wonderful and special. He really knows how to (laughs) get to me.
1: You know, when he brought me in for pre-production, it was about a week before we started shooting. He brought me up to his apartment and he showed me rehearsal footage and he played it for me. And I just started crying. And he was like, it's really interesting, your reaction to that. He's like, that's a very similar reaction that we all had when we did the table read. And mm. He's like, we, we have to remember that feeling. And I was like, yeah, that is that is our beacon right there, is like emotion, like connecting to this material and a deeper, you know, finding humanity in this. So that's the thing I'm going to listen to. That's the kernels I'm going to find to make this film special.
0: This is a celebration of the old Hollywood musicals, but done in a much more grounded and real way where you guys are dealing with very modern issues of family and identity and culture and grounding it that's the really tough balance and achieving that tone and i thought that you guys struck that perfectly
1: Thank you. The idea of keeping it grounded was the other beacon for us in which we're like, well, this is a real neighborhood, even though they're singing, like let's treat it like dialogue. Let's treat the music like it's just part of the neighborhood. Let's treat the coffee maker to provide part of the rhythm of the music. Even with the magical realism touches, we wanted to keep them just real enough that you believe it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw that you were doing things where the chairs in the salon were moving to particular instrumental beats, waxing the eyebrows. You were really playing with doing these things on the beat, but then also trying to keep it grounded, especially whenever there wasn't uh, a song.
1: I don't always know what the plan is. So when I when the footage is coming at me, I'm like, oh my God, there's, the choreography in the background is going to, some instrument that i'd even like pick up because it's embedded in the tracks or somebody being turned around in a chair or the nails clicking in the background in the salon. Like it's all part of the layers of this thing.
0: Is that all planned out in advance or was some of that stuff being found in the editing room with you and John?
1: Both. And some was really planned and some of it was just like, let's carve it around the music, et cetera. There's always like a master plan and then you get into the edits. It could be something else. And then you're like, okay, how do we reappropriate this footage? Something like Nomadigo with a salon, like there was a lot of choreography for the whole thing. It was just a matter of like balancing the right elements because I could cut to any one thing. And that salon, sort of like a 96,000 or Carnival de Barrio, any given moment, there's something great going on. So it's it's just a matter of picking and choosing and building and not getting too lost in it.
0: Well, tell me about that. Because how did you keep it all straight and not get overwhelmed? You know, the footage just... There's a lot of it. How did you go about attacking these musical numbers?
1: I tried to approach it like I was cutting any other scene, to be honest with you. I literally would watch the dailies and just let it wash over me. And sometimes I would have a notepad or I, would, I have a little database that I just take notes, but I wouldn't even put locators on the footage. You know, I it would just be an audience member and just take it all in. And then after that, it's literally like pulling painstakingly selects and just building the number over time. And something like the opening number was shot over the course of almost the entire production. And in fact, the community core stuff, we used to have stock footage in there for months and months and months because John didn't have enough time to shoot that material. So it was just a matter of slowly cutting these numbers in sections and not getting too overwhelmed by the the sheer amount of footage on any given part of a musical number, and just break it down in almost like many scenes for myself, and just chisel away. Um, So it
0: almost sounds like you would cut the musical numbers many, many different times as you got new footage, and you just sort of, I'll throw this onto track two or track three or track four,
1: I don't do a lot of layers, funny enough, but I do have these gigantic select reels where I can kind of sift through it again. For some reason, I just really like going from beginning to end and not have too many layers. I like a really clean timeline, <laughs> but I often would just break things down, like say something like 96,000, which has a lot of different sections. I'd li- literally like break it down into like 10 different sections. And then I would make select rolls that just apply to different sections. And then I'm going to have a miscellaneous selects role that can go anywhere in the number.
0: Today, I'm going to work on the synchronized swimming section or I'm going to do the, the walk and talk in the street. Yep,
1: exactly. And I did that because I also had the next day's dailies always coming in and it was just impossible to like keep up so it just allowed me to work on a smaller scene that i could work on a bigger section of a musical number and then if john asked me like i really need you to like cut together a scene because i think i might be missing a shot or i might think that whatever i saw the day before like something's off with the coverage i might put that together really quickly just to inform myself or inform him but for the most part i just really took my time selecting footage watching footage procrastinating and then uh, (laughs) there were certain days where I would just like hunker down you know I cut Nomadiga the first pass like in a day Carnival took me a couple days but I just I spent a lot of time organizing and learning the material and really understanding what I was trying to do with it 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 was kind of like just old school cutting on film just thinking a lot before Mm -hmm. I started doing and then I could start playing and building and making mistakes and starting over.
0: That sure. I think that that's one of the advantages of having started off in film where you just don't want to have to take splices and remove all the the tape so in those days you really had to think what am i trying to do before i do it what am i hoping to achieve here
1: yeah like my mentor was this um beautiful editor jim lyons who cut todd haynes movies for years and he started on film and just watching him he'd just sit and think for the really longest time I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. And sometimes I'll just sort of start throwing things down. But I I tend to reread the scene, just think, what what is the intention? And the same with a musical number. Like, what is the purpose of this musical number from a story point of view? And then how is that going to help guide my construction?
0: Cool. Yeah. And then with musical sequences, I would think that you would have so many different takes, would you gang them all together to be able to go, okay, I want to choose this piece and that piece and that piece?
1: Well, first of all, I had two incredible assistant editors, my first, Andy Pang, and second, Elliot Trigger. And I had two incredible music editors, Jennifer Dunnington and Jim Bruning. And timecode was on my side. The playback timecode was on every single clip. And so I could basically make selects without even, even having to worry about if one select started at the beginning of a song or end of a song. And then I could just find it as a reference and I knew that I could just place it into the song. Based at a certain on the time, time code. Yeah, yeah, so that is how I cheat the system <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> but there was plenty of footage where I could just use it anywhere in the song. And oftentimes I would also appropriate footage from one chorus and put it into another. Sure.
0: How involved was Lynn?
1: He left us alone for the most part. He would come to screenings. He came into the editor room a few times. There was a lot of conversations with email and phone calls and texts and stuff. But he let John and I do our thing, to That's be honest great. with you. Sometimes he would question what it was, but he really let us explore and be free to interpret his work. You know, we took some pretty big swings early before we even saw the movie. We'd cut out a Benny and the Dispatch for the longest time. And we showed him the film without that number. I and mean, it's scary to do that. But again, we were just trying to create a safe space for ourselves. Like, he's a collaborator in this. and He's given us room to explore. And we just wanted him to see it without it and have the discussion.
0: So when he would see it without, like, a the Benny Dispatch song, he wouldn't react immediately? Yeah.
1: I mean, he did say, like, where's Benny the Dispatch? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, the Shakespeare of our times just said, where the fuck is my song? But it was very chill, too. Like, he just knew that we were struggling for the longest time just to fill the balance. And eventually it found its way back, not because he, like, said you had to put this back, but the audience required it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I really... Love uh, the character of Benny, and I think that that Dispatch song is a lot of fun. But you're right, there's so much that you have to figure out what's important and what can you let go. And uh, I could see that if you're going to let go of any song, maybe it would be that one.
1: Yeah, there was a handful of songs. There was Benny the Dispatch, there was When You're Home, again, was with Benny and Nina. And believe it or not, Pacincia Faye was actually on the chopping block at one point as well. But long story short, because it was such a big ensemble piece that it was really difficult to cut the film down. And we kept nipping at scenes and cutting out scenes out of the film, which remain cut out. But, you know, you just can't cut out every scene or it's just wall-to-wall music. And we also felt like at the end of the day, all the different characters held each other up like dominoes. And if you started to take one out, they just all just started to collapse
0: on itself. And I'm sure like the In the Heights musical, they've got an intermissions, you know, you don't have that luxury with a movie where people can get up, stretch their legs and then come back.
1: Yeah. And also that version has more characters and more songs. So you're really sort of trying to just find the best version for this experience. It is a long movie, but we are like, we just have to give the audience a fulfilling experience and hopefully it's not so long where they get bored and just do the best we could. Um, totally.
0: And I think the pace is just beautifully put together. And I think that that keeps people energized. And sometimes you would slow things down so that then a scene could explode with a musical number. I'm thinking about the tension between Yuznavi and uh, Vanessa in the store before she decides to go on the date or the build up to... Uh, carnival where everyone's hot and depressed so you stretch that out so that then you can really contrast that with a lot of energy right after that
1: yeah we just knew that it couldn't all be at 100 we had to pull things back and it's interesting right before uh carnival because a lot of that's constructed from deleted scenes like that moment when sunday's on the stairwell, we, we knew we had to construct some kind of beat there to give it, to build up the tension a little bit more, to feel the weight of this big event that's just happened to the neighborhood. And so a lot of it was written in the script, and a lot of it was constructed in the edit.
0: Sure. And then even within some of the musical numbers, like that first musical number, there's so much energy and a lot of cuts. And then you hold for a long time on Uznavi. Through the window with the dancing and the reflection and i just thought that that was fantastic Will you just give us a chance to sort of catch our breath and observe this really interesting juxtaposition of him singing through the window
1: yeah and john is just a master of like designing these moments these breaths within the sequence and whether it's holding a long time on my shot or like having a musical number like champagne which is just a wonder. There's no edits in my entire number. Or stopping the music on the dime and then just having a scene play out and then restart it again. I just love playing with all that because we were basically creating breaths, but also grounding it at the same time.
0: And how much was
1: pre-recorded
0: and how much was uh, done live?
1: I would say it was probably 70% pre-record and 30% live. So there was quite
0: a bit of live.
1: Well, they prepared for mostly pre-record, but then they realized how great everyone could sing on the spot. As the shoot went on more and more, they just kept doing more and more live stuff. You know, the beginning of Winter Home Champagne is all live. We have Rusnabi rapping in the middle of Carnival. The guys on the street is almost all live. Corey actually had a cold that day, so his voice was taken in, but the the rest of the boys are they're live and. Anyways, it's just interspersed throughout the whole film. But at the same time, we had to make it all feel like the same thing. Uh, Lou Goldstein did a great job just matching everything together in the final mix
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: just treating it all very grounded, almost treating it like uh, dialogue.
0: Yeah, I mean, it uh, must have been such a huge effort by the music editor.
1: It was really like this painstaking back and forth between Jim and Jennifer and myself, really intricately slipping shots, trying to get the sync as close as possible. And then working with Alex Lackamore and Bill Sherman, the composers who they've been on it from the beginning of the stage production and working with them, and it was just this fluid back and forth between all these different departments.
0: Yeah, and then you've got so many clever little shots, too, like uh, Nina growing up and having that all one shot. Was that designed and then stitched together, or?
1: Yeah, it was designed, and then we stitched it together, and it took some work (laughs) to get it there. I had a really find my way, slipping things and trying different takes, you know, so it was just a bit of experimentation there, but it feels pretty seamless.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. And you do something similarly with Abuela's song where uh, she's singing about coming to New York and, and you've got some hidden whip pans in there as well.
1: Yeah, John was very specific about transitions, probably more than any number it was in. Uh, Pacencia FA and he really had specific ideas about how to go from one decade to the next. What's interesting about that number is that it was actually designed for earlier in the film, and it wasn't working at all, so much so that we thought we we're going to cut it out of the film. People mm. were really giving it low marks, and we're like, how can this be? It's so beautifully shot, the emotions there, but it just felt it was, it was happening before 96,000. And it just felt like dead weight. And I had suggested to John weeks in that we might be able to move this musical number to be where it is now. And I'll try not to spoil the reason why I I decided to move it, but John wasn't ready at that point. So I think it was months later where we were still screening the movie for like friends and family that it was still getting poor marks and we were hanging out with the producers and he pitched the idea Gave me some credit, thank God. But at the same time, I had no idea if it was going to work. And in fact, I was talking to John today and he said, do you remember that we went back and we put it in the cut? It wasn't finessed yet, but we showed it to the assistants and nobody liked it. (laughs) And we said, oh no, but John and I still believed in it. So we're like, "Let's, let's not give up on it. You know, it probably took a couple more weeks to just really finesse it and just make it really feel organic to the moment. And once we did that, we like showed it to them again. Okay, now it's working. (laughs) Now it's working. (laughs) But it's scary when you have an idea because you don't know. It's one thing to pitch an idea to all your creative partners and it's another thing to actually do it. Absolutely. It was a big swing for sure.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like you guys experimented a lot going to the stock shots of the tankers when you were saying how uh, Navi got his name. You guys continued to do big swings.
1: Yeah, we kept wanting to just play with our toolbox. So there was something really fun about like doing a little mini Ken Burns documentary <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of this thing. And then we were just like, well, technically, the footage that we have is like, 1920s.
0: Before his uh, father's yeah, time.
1: Yeah, to, but we just liked it so much. It just felt right. And then once we started screening it, it got laughs, and we're just like, let's just keep it.
0: Yeah, yeah it's perfect.
1: And it was the same thing with the Latina Lady uh, murals. Yeah, um, I was going
0: to talk about that as well. Was that planned, or was that something that you guys just started uh, thinking, oh, this will be great for Latin Heritage Month to go to these murals?
1: Well, originally it was just going to be similar, mm-hmm. like just stocked photographs then we started playing around with like labeling them with text as well as the photographs and then we started thinking about like just making it feel again a little bit more grounded we had some beautiful murals i forget the artist's name but he's this amazing artist and we're like let's throw him images and let's inspire him and let's have him make some illustrations and then we're like you know it'd be really great if we put these illustrations on the sides of buildings
0: that's So, so cool
1: So it was just this process of like just experimenting and just keep pushing ourselves. And we we went to the visual effects supervisor and said, can we actually put these illustrations
0: on buildings? So were they painted on the buildings or was it visual effects? Yeah, it's VFX. That's cool. Uh, It looked very organic.
1: The artists on this film, not just the dancers and all the scenics, but everyone just brought their A-game across the board.
0: I felt like one thing that you guys started doing on Crazy Rich Asians and you've continued here is just really being clever with visual effects when the flyer reveals Vanessa's wall that then shows the line of the train traveling downtown or Nina drawing on the fence to show the different subway stops. Even the beginning of one of my favorite songs, 96,000, where you have animation while they walk and talk down the street.
1: Yeah, and all of those were like complete failures at one stage or another. <laughs> it was 96,000, we literally had this idea to basically almost draw over the entire number. And we actually had a, another animator who was really talented, uh, but it was a completely different style. And it was really divisive. People hated it. And they're like, what did you do Six Excel? And, and so we had a, we basically started pulling it way back, and then we decided to hire a different animator because we're like, this style is not working. Lynn was like, why are you drawing over my entire song? That was one of the places where he was stepping in and said, I think you guys are just overdoing it. So we just we had to find the right touch to it and the right style. But we, having learned from Crazy Rich Asians, we really did like to keep playing with these devices just to kind of liven up some sections and, well, just, they're you fun know, and yeah, they, just to be and They, they, they yeah. give
0: it a modern sensibility, which I really love.
1: With the, the manhole cover record scratch moment that was found in the edit. We knew he was going to step on a piece of gum, but we didn't know if we we're going to actually spin the manhole cover or we didn't mm-hmm. know we we're going to have like words on the screen or like this big wave crash at the beginning of the movie all that stuff was just total construction. It wasn't scripted. Yeah, We just wanted little sparks for the audience to just connect to, and we just wanted them to play with us.
0: That's amazing. That's great.
1: The whole thing with the flyer used to be designed as this gigantic sequence where we're going to go through like subway cars and over the streets, and we had multiple vendors pitch us these huge sequences, sort of in the style of Crazy Rich Asians and the Texan montage, and Finally, we're just like this is really a transition, and it took the longest time. You would think the transition's really simple, but it just took us the longest time to find something that basically told us she's going downtown, (laughs) and it's away from Washington Heights, and then get us back up for the more of the song. And that thing took us forever just trying to figure it out.
0: Why it worked with ninety six thousand at the opening is because the animation is like white chalk. So Mm -hmm. it's not so overwhelming that it's getting in the way of the music. And there is so much to look at that I think you have to decide how much to do and how much to pull it back. And and finding that uh, fine line is probably a tricky thing.
1: Yeah. Again, we had to fail to get there. And it was very stressful for us because so much of 96,000 was working editorially. But this was actually endangering the entire number.
0: Talk about the blackout. There's just so many different parts that I want to sort of get into.
1: A lot of blackout was massive amount of experimentation, a massive amount of restructuring, trying out different shots, working with the music department, and just failing. Failing a lot and just trying new ideas and just finding our way. It was without a doubt, the hardest section of the film to put together, but also, like, the proudest, because Mm -hmm. it was so complicated. It's almost where all the conflict is. And we basically spend the first half of the film introducing these characters, and then the second half of the film, it's all conflict. And this is, like, basically the set piece. So the idea of having the promise of this dinner, which is food and love and music, and intercutting them, like having a good time together. And then all of a sudden you're like in this scene from like Ordinary People or something <laughs> where connecting looks and, and like bringing out that tension. Mm-hmm. And then that builds up into the club, which is just like hot and sweaty. And it's like our West Side Story homage, but it's on steroids. Just make it feel alive and fun, but also there's some tension in there. Turn off all the lights. And then it was just like, Unmoored chaos, dancers in the streets with sparklers, people shooting off fireworks, allow that to go into Pistons CFA, which is like the show stopping number,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then go from that to Alabanza, which is like this meditative, peaceful, painful moment. Alice Brooks had her camera people pick up little Virotay pops of like the neighborhood. And they would just pour this into my editor room. I was like, I don't know what to do with this, but I love all of it. So, of course, that came into like blackout or even the opening number. Like none of that was scripted. I just wanted to use it somewhere. Somebody shot this beautiful shot of like a chain link fence or the one last person like leaving the neighborhood with a sparkler. Or Yusnavi just sitting at the beach, just looking off in the distance. I, I love like,
0: that shot going to him sort of reflecting. That was a very powerful shot to put right there.
1: I knew I just wanted to create as much chaos, very loud, but then go to this really quiet moment and in fact we even take out the sound at one point there's not even tone and then you bring it in just you just hear a little bit of the beach and a little bit of the leaves i really wanted to feel unmoored there i've said this a few times that I, but i remember like all that jazz like kind of scaring the shit out of me because of your shifting perspectives and point of views mm. and I, and so i really wanted to create some kind of moment like that here As an audience member, you didn't know where we were in the story. We knew he was reflecting and thinking about this really painful memory, but we didn't know why exactly we were here at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, it's very
0: powerful going to a totally different place and reflecting, even in a different time of day. Like it's the middle of the day, it's hot, rather than at night where you have the warm candles and everybody joining together.
1: Yeah, and it almost takes you out for a second because it's so bright on that beach. But I just love that. Like everything we tried to do in the film was subvert expectation a bit and create
0: power and emotion from that. There's a lot of weight we feel when we go to that shot.
1: It's one of my favorite pieces in the, in the whole film. And with a, a film that's so much about noise and music and just relentless nonstop action with the musical numbers, and then they just go to this incredibly quiet moment. And funny enough, when we started um, experimenting post-Alabanza, there was a lot of discussion about losing that beat with Iris saying, I'm just going to, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but saying, um, uh, no, daddy, keep going. There was a lot of debate about whether or not to have that there. again. It's
0: interesting because I didn't notice it. And both (laughs) my daughter and my wife go, of course, that's his daughter. And I think when they said that, it really struck them. And they're like, oh, wait. Okay. <laughs> I, I I have a little bit of a, a glimpse into what's going on. So you guys weren't sure whether to give that away or not.
1: Well, yeah, there was a real debate. Even Tommy Kale, who directed the original stage production, and also one of the brain trusts for Fosse Burden, he didn't have many notes, but I think he just really thought we should reveal uh, the bodega later. in the And I was like, I had a really strong opinion about it. I was like, I understand where you're coming from, but First of all, it doesn't feel like that big of a reveal in the bodega, just the way um, it was shot and constructed. But secondly, again, we needed another little engine at this point in the movie just to give Mm. the audience just a little bit more information. It's a very meditative moment. We just needed anything to just kind of like restart, reset. And also, I like the question, he's like, should we take a break? And he's kind of like asking the audience, like, are you ready mm-hmm. to keep going? We've gone through a journey here. Like, are you ready for it to go on the other side? Because we still have a little bit of a way to go.
0: Here. And I almost assume, and and I don't know, I haven't seen the stage play myself, but that might be approximately where... There is the intermission.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, and so we didn't have that, so we had to create something. So that's sort of, of like
0: your intermission, yeah. like I've reset <laughs> your, your expectations. Are you ready to go for the second act?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had not thought about that. And it's building up some expectation too. The whole concept of the beach was a new thing from the stage production
0: and yeah, I was going to ask about that because I was wondering if there was debate about it and, you know, spoiler alert, a little bit of a twist ending, whether that was fooling the audience and whether it was as honest as it should be. And I like it, but I wasn't sure what the debate was.
1: It was probably the most controversial thing in the entire movie, to be honest with you. Was yeah, like, I, I could see that. Yeah, whether to go to the beach at all and how much to go to the beach, there was actually tons and tons of more beach material. But so in the early screenings, were are like, why are you going to the beach? I hate the beach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then other people was just like, I want more of the beach. <laughs> I love the beach. You know, It's
0: great with the kids and stuff. It's just it can create some very strong opinions.
1: But for me, I like the fact that people had really strong opinions about it. I always feel like even if it's wrong for some people, at least they have an opinion about it. So I'm doing something right. But also, mm-hmm. all joking aside, like, The Beach did a couple of things for me. And I think it, it, with John as well, it's like, one, it literally created more breaths between musical numbers. Like, we needed more scenes to just have moments where we're just not wall-to-wall musical numbers. That's the first thing. The second thing is, this is about Yusnabi passing this story down to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, like, the whole piece for me is also a meditation about, where home is and who doesn't want to retire in Hawaii or the Caribbean or the DR or Puerto Rico. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we all have that dream, <laughs> you know, sure. and the pandemic itself, like this idea of like, you know, spending time with the people you love and this is where home is versus like the place you want to go. Mm. And I just really liked the beach mm. sort of asking all those questions without being so obvious about it. And, and when he ends up where he ends up, I just think it's a satisfying conclusion to the film.
0: I feel like frames help the audience too. I think that structure helps an audience feel safe and you can go to a lot of different places when you have a frame.
1: I love frames in general. I know a lot of people don't, but I I think it's a very fun tool in your toolbox if you can use it sparingly and effectively and elegantly. Absolutely. And also, like a lot of things in the film, we subvert the frame as well. What is the reality of this movie? Where are we? And again, being sort of inspired by all that jazz, I just I like the idea of just messing with point of view and just challenging the audience a little. But anyways, when you're just like so close to like giving up at any given moment, that's how Blackout always felt. But then, you know, you get on the other side of it, you're like, oh my God, it's just it's so wonderful. Every part of that evening is, I just love it so much. People talk about 96,000 or when the sun goes down or even the opening number, which I adore. I love. Carnival, I love. I love Noma Diga. I love, it won't be long now, but I really love Blackout. And I love that night.
0: Yeah, it's quite an achievement and you are juggling so many balls in that sequence and making sure none of the balls fall to the floor. And I thought yeah. you guys really kept everything uh, spinning, which was great. Thanks, man.
1: Uh, I really appreciate that.
0: One thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, when you finished post, were you affected by the pandemic at all?
1: I didn't think we were going to be at first. We actually had locked picture right before the pandemic started, and we started mixing. And then I was actually going to direct an episode in Vancouver. Very cool. Yeah, it was a huge opportunity. It was my first time directing. I went to Vancouver and shot for two days, and it shut down, of course, like everything else. March 13th, of the 13th, and then didn't work for four or five months. And then John called me up and said, I was thinking about trying some ideas. And would you be open to opening up picture again? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And of course, nobody was going to be allowed into an edit space. And I went from a staff of 20 down to a staff of one in Altadena, and then a staff of one in Andy Pang's apartment in New York and a staff of one with my second in his apartment and <laughs> and then John in his house across town in LA and you know we basically ever cast the final picture changes remotely but the irony to that the silver lining was that having some time away from the movie allowed us to make some really big moves that I think made the film better. We ended up cutting out a scene, putting back a couple small scenes, and I was slipping picture meticulously to help as much as I could the sync. And also the music department, they just had extra time to work on the music. So it was, yeah, a silver lining to some degree, and also a chance to just rework the film a little bit more.
0: Well, I find that sometimes when we're editing these shows, we're just racing towards the finish line and we have these screenings and we, we watch it many times and we try to to step back from it. But it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to take that time. I've I've heard that with Scorsese, him and Thelma, they lock the picture and then they step away for two weeks and then they come back and, and do some final editing and i just feel like it's really hard to get away from it enough to have some objectivity.
1: Yeah, i totally agree. I I feel like I want to do it on every movie now where i could build in some little time away from it. But you're absolutely right. Um usually you don't have smart. that time. Yeah. You know, and also the pandemic itself gave me a different perspective of what we were making to some degree and i was just a different person. Mm. Like i was just more sensitive to other things that I may not have been sensitive before. And anyways, I just feel like, you know, your DNA and your every your life experience, as much as editing sounds technical, all that stuff is actually flowing into the film and the same with John and, and everybody involved. So I just think that it made a difference.
0: Absolutely. I think that people have the misconception that it is a very technical craft, but, it's not the tools, it's all the emotion and all the subtext and what the characters are thinking and feeling. That's what editing is really about. It's it's about story. It's not really about the mechanics of the avid or premiere or final cut. They're all different automobiles that will get you from point A to point B the same way. It's just uh they're tools. Yep. Absolutely. Did all the actors do all their singing and dancing or Were there doubles?
1: There wasn't one single double. Everybody did their own dancing. Everybody did their own singing. Yeah, it's amazing when you have every single one of your leads in the cast or a triple threat, and you're just trying to find the right pieces to just heighten what they're already doing. You know, there were some choices that were protecting the actors, but not many.
0: Wow. I love the scene where Nina and Benny dance on the building. Like you said, what's reality, what's not? And and the wonderful thing about a musical is that you can subvert expectations. And with that, dancing on the building totally makes sense because these two people are falling in love again. And that's how they feel inside. Tell me a little bit about creating that because I was wondering, how was that achieved?
1: It's a hydraulic system. It's basically a wall wall. With a fire escape built on the side of it, the wall then goes flat as a floor. Oh, wow! And of course, the, you know, the camera is stationary. So it, and then we start moving once we make the move. So it appears as if gravity has changed. You know, so we have a practical wall, practical fire escape, and then a practical dance floor. And everything else is green screen. So for us, we just had to really make our choices early about which takes we we're going to end up using and also try to figure out like how many edits to put into that because we knew that the camera work and the choreography was going to do most of the work. And I wanted to make sure that we had a breath after something like Carnival, which was very cutty and it filled with energy. And I just wanted this to feel more like poetry, just really elegant. Mm-hmm. So it's just really focusing on them and the technological feat they were trying to pull off. And then we had big debates about which takes, especially the opening take and the last edit. We got it in pretty close shape pretty early on in the editorial process because we knew we were going to basically be doing VFX on that number for like four or five months. So we just had to push ourselves to like really imagine what it was going (laughs) to look like as much Mm -hmm. as we could. They also did a bunch of VR capturing to kind of figure out what the shots would end up looking like. So they built a whole VR program to basically pre-game what the camera might be like.
0: And and that was being used before they actually filmed it, or they were doing yep. that while they were filming it, so they uh, could see both. what it looked like? Like the, yep. the James Cameron thing with Avatar, yep. where you have built the universe, and you're looking at that through the camera?
1: Yep, they did it uh, both um, in pre-production, and they also had the unit on set, which, of course, I went down to set, you
0: mm-hmm. know, when they
1: shot that, I was like, I have to see this wall in action, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, you know, it was also cool because I don't usually do this stuff at all, but I, I said to John, can we do something with the air conditioner unit uh, with the water dripping off of it? And he was like, no, 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 it's not about any of that. I was like, on, let's just do a special one. So there <laughs> was, was a whole, like, debate. It was the editor showing up and asking for a shot, you know, but, <laughs> but he was really sweet about it. And, I, of course, I didn't know if it was going to work. And in some ways, it actually kind of. Um, Breaks the gravity thing a little bit, but I really like it. <laughs>
0: I like it. It's uh, it's fun.
1: Before the effect started, I had uh, even more edits in there because uh, I was just I just wanted to see every angle <laughs> of this thing. But then we we pulled back pretty quickly.
0: It's tricky because sometimes you've got a plethora of great choices, and you have to go. Okay, what's the very best choice? Because I can't use all these angles, or it's going to pull the audience out. But you, you want people to see all these great things that have been captured on film and you just can't show them all as much as you want to.
1: Yeah. And I really had to remind myself that we were just coming back from this number where there's just so much happening and the audience is really going to need a breath. They're going to really need to just have a meditative, joyous experience where they could just kind of soak this in. It's just given the beauty and poetry of this moment.
0: That's cool. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and I just love talking to you and thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, man. I, it was such an honor. I love talking to a fellow editor about the process and that you know this film so well. I have no idea how you did that. And I hope we inspire future editors and filmmakers the way I was inspired by my heroes. So
0: That's awesome. Well, if uh, you enjoy this, please subscribe. We really appreciate it. Thank you.